Welcome to the OutBless Weekly Podcast, the verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible study with Michael Metcalf from Life Hope Christian Ministry. In this weekly study, you will learn the Bible in depth and through the power of the Holy Spirit as Michael pours out the love of Jesus Christ as the Spirit leads. The Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind on God's Word. Listeners all agree, this is among the best Bible studies they have ever attended. Join us each week to listen live or follow along with the Outless Weekly Podcast. Now, here is our Bible teacher and humble servant, Michael Metcalf. Father, we come before your mighty throne, Lord, today once again to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for that wonderful song that we got to sing together where we sang that you are for us and that you would go before us and behind us and on, uh, all around us and in us and through us and that you would bless us and our children and our children's children. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that, for reminding us of your great love and how that great love is extended to multiple generations throughout. And so what an awesome God you are. We're so thankful, God, that we get to come into this room today to study your word and really um, to eat of it, to digest it, to, to ask that you make your word part of our very core. So Father, speak to us today through the power of your Holy Spirit as we study your word with open hearts and open minds and a willingness to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we'll thank you for it, Father. So do that work in each of us, Lord, that you wish. Thank you, thank you, God, that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. you. All right, we're back in the Bible bus. We are... Come to Psalm chapter 20 uh, in the NASB version of the Bible. The title of this message is A Prayer for Victory Over Enemies. And once again, it says it's for the music director, a Psalm of David. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 20 and we read in verse 1 May the Lord answer you on a day of trouble, and may the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Prayer for victory over enemies, this title, it seems a little odd since in chapter 19, we just considered the heavens and the work of his hands and sort of the grandeur and the enormity and the size and power of God. And so I don't know about you, but as I rethought about that last night, I was amazed by his power, his wisdom the enormity of what God has done and and what he puts on display for us all to see. And I'm reminded of that verse that said, if God be for you, then who can be against you? And so it seemed like last night we had climbed this ladder together and we had come to a higher place of faith and we were strengthened by those stories and by those visions and those ideas and those concepts But it often seems in the moments of our highest faith, difficulty also comes immediately after. I don't know if that's true for you, but that's been true for me most of my life. It seems like as soon as God does some radical, awesome thing, 
Some other challenge happens right away. We see that throughout the book of Psalms as David one minute is just really over the top, full of faith, strong as he could possibly be, and then the next crying out for help. And he just goes back and forth like that, and that's kind of how life can be. And so he asked the Lord here, he said, may the Lord answer you on a day of trouble. Now, the word that's translated Lord here is Jehovah, and it means the one true God. That's the word Lord in this chapter. And so the focus is on the Lord, the one true God, answering. And so it implies that if God is, the one true God is going to answer, there's something that had to happen first. It's called prayer. It's called the request. Or if it's really urgent, it's called the supplication. And so David is praying that the Lord will answer these things even before you ask them. That's pretty cool. And by the way, not just answer, but listen what he said, on a day of trouble. In other words, in the very day of your trouble when you pray, and so this prayer has a sense of urgent need and reliance upon God for an immediate answer, not a slow one. Now, if you're like me, Maybe you have prayed to God about something that you thought was urgent and you've asked him to help with some situation and maybe he didn't answer. Maybe he didn't answer on time. And so I'm not sure why he doesn't answer on time. I'm not sure why there's delays sometimes, but we know that God will answer when he's ready. We don't get to dictate to God when he answers our prayers. But I'll tell you this, he knows when the right time is, and sometimes he delays the answer for a reason. He might want us to get to a different place in our heart or a different place in our mind, or it may be some other thing that's going on. And so maybe the delay is a good thing, and God's going to answer that prayer when you really need it. And so I have to learn, you have to learn, we all have to learn to rely on God and his timing. But David here is asking that the Lord would answer you and answer me on our day of trouble. That means on the very day. And so this is the takeaway I got from the Lord last night as I was praying about this. He said, I'm able to answer your prayer right away. He said, I'm able. And I felt like he told me that more than once. And so then he said this, are you able to believe it? You see, sometimes we might go to the throne of God with our request, but we really don't believe he's going to answer us right away. We think maybe he heard us. We think maybe he'll do something about it someday, but maybe we're really not believing that we have this direct connection to God the Father, the one true God, that he's almighty, all-powerful. Remember, he put all those stars up on the sky and put them on display for me and you to see his power, his wisdom, how incredible he is. And he shines it full of light every night so we can see it. And so maybe the problem is not God being slack or maybe the problem is not God delaying. Maybe the problem is that we're not genuinely expecting him to answer. I think there's truth in both sides of that. I think sometimes God is gonna delay answering a prayer for a reason, for his purpose, for his will. But I think other times, We don't approach God with the level of faith and trust that we know that he hears us, that we know he's going to answer us, 
and that he's going to provide that answer today. And so I want to challenge you today to have that kind of faith, to trust that God does hear your prayers, that he does care about you, that he does know what's going on in your life. And when you cry out with some urgent need and you need an answer today, he can provide it. And so the question for you to take away from our study today is, are you ready to receive it? Continuing, David said, may the name of God of Jacob protect you. The focus on this verse is his name. His name in this section is the name God. It's not the word Lord. It's the name God and translated, it's, it's uh, the original text, it's Elohim. And it really means God, plural. It's the plural form of God. So it really means God's. And so it seems to be a reference to the Trinity, multiple yet one. And the name Jacob, of course, we know it means heel catcher. It means supplanter. It means one who follows after. And it also means may God protect in the original language. And so if you stitch these names together, the one that was used first for Lord, then the one that was used for God, It means that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit will follow after you and catch you from falling. That's what it means. So what's implied is that all three are at work to make this happen in your life and mine. And if God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, are following after you to make sure that you don't fall, do you think he can hear your prayers? And do you think he can answer them today? I believe the answer is absolutely yes. And so verse two, may he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he send you help from the sanctuary. The sanctuary, if you think about it, that's a reference to God's home, the place where he lives. And so what is implied is that he's gonna send help from his house to yours. And support from Zion. Zion is always a reference to a mountain that's in Israel. And that is always a picture of heaven in the Jewish mind. Because in the Jewish mind, the place of Zion is this idea of heaven. It's perfection in heaven. And we've talked about this, but when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven... That's that 1,500-mile cube that's made of precious stones, and it floats over this very area where God's going to rule and reign, and he's going to do that with those that come down from heaven with him after the rapture. By the way, that's us. And he's going to rule and reign from that cubed precious stone for a 1,000 years. And so this prayer represents support from Jerusalem, from the mountain of God, in the here and now, but also in eternity from heaven. That's what he's saying. The help is available now and it's available forever. And so now in verse three, he said, may he remember all your meal offerings and accept your burnt offerings, Selah. That means think about it, contemplate it. And so he's talking about something specific, a meal offering and then a burnt offering. And so you have to go back and understand scripture. You need to understand what did that mean to the Jewish mindset and what were the meaning of those offerings. And so we're going to take a look at that. 
May he, let's start with the meal offering. He said, may he remember all your meal offerings. And so this is the unique Jewish flavor to that. As we consider the meal offering, it's going to be reinforced that the greatest sacrifice of all is the sacrifice of the self. The meal offering shares with the burnt offering the imagery of a meal being set before God, even as a meal would be set before a man, consisting only of meat and grains. Uh, grains and oil are added to prepare a more complete meal. So the burnt offering was the, was the meat. This is not the burnt offering. These are the things that are the added, uh, uh, these are the added ingredients. And so it would be, make the meal more complete. Tree fruits and garden vegetables were excluded as suitable for offering on the altar. And so this, the offering was not only a gift to God, but there was a sense of being the personal property of the offerer. So the fruit of his own labor, which would come from tending your garden, and so back in Exodus chapter 23, verse 16, and Leviticus 22, 25, the meal offering could be given in three forms. Here they are. Number one, in the form of groats with the fresh ears roasted by fire or dried grains coarsely rubbed or crushed. That's Leviticus 2, 14. And as finely ground wheat or barley flour, these first two forms were covered and mixed with oil and frankincense in verse one. And then the third one in the form of loaves or cakes made of the fine flour mixed with oil. And these could be prepared in an oven. That's in verse four or upon a flat iron in verses five and six. And so Leviticus 2.9 contains an additional feature that's important to understand this offering. Here's what it said. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And like the burnt offering, it is a sweet savor to God. Another similarity to the burnt offering in contrast to the sin offering. The offering's intent contains no thought of sin. It represents a man in perfect obedience, giving God a sacrifice that he accepts as pleasing to him. And so in Leviticus 2.1 supplies us with a key difference from the burnt offering. In addition to fine flour, the meal offering also contained oil and frankincense. These ingredients demonstrate that no life is given unlike the burnt offering. And so in the burnt offering, a man offers his life to God, but while in the meal offering, he offers the fruit of the ground. That's a big difference. That's a key. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, he said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And so this verse defines what portion of the earth God allotted to man, its produce. Thus, if we combine our knowledge of the burnt offering and the meal offering and this verse, we can determine what they symbolize. Life is what God claims as his part of the creation. For example, God told us not to eat blood, Genesis chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, because the life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 10 through 14, this implies that life belongs to him because he gave it and we are to respect his ownership. And we are also to respect the fact that 
the animal gave its life so that we can live. And so within the context of the offerings, life symbolizes what we owe God, but in contrast, the grain and oil and frankincense, the fruit of the earth, symbolize what we owe to man. And so both characteristics are our duty. The one is to surrender to God our life as it's being lived, and the other is fulfilled of our duty to our neighbor. And so Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, succinctly declares these responsibilities. It says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so here we have the highest aspect of the work of Christ where he is seen offering himself up entirely to God to do his will even unto death. The whole offering except the skin of the animal was burnt upon the altar and all went up to God as a sweet savor. And so it pictures Christ who gave himself as a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior or savior, savor. That's Ephesians 5.2. Christ is not seen here as bearing our sins, but as accomplishing the Father's will, glorifying him and vindicating the holiness and the majesty of his throne. And so this theme is especially prominent in John's gospel in Psalm verse 40. And so what do we learn about this first offering? It's really about us giving back in service to other men. Now, there's a second one that's talked about. The first one was the meal offering. The second one is, he said, and accept your burnt offerings. That's different. In the burnt offerings in Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, the sacrifices of bulls and rams were consumed totally in a Holocaust fire, symbolizing the totality of the offering. And when Aaron's sons were consecrated as priests, the offering was similarly consumed by the flames in its totality. In Romans 12, verse one, Paul admonishes us to submit our entire lives in service to God's people. In 1 Peter 2, five through nine, God's chosen people are called a chosen generation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. God's own distinctive people commissioned to offer sacrifice of service more of a spiritual rather than physical offering sacrifices of altered conduct, requiring a lifetime of service, equally as demanding as the Levitical priests of old. They had to follow a lot of laws. And the Apostle Paul, who held nothing back from God after his conversion, compares himself as a drink offering being poured out, signifying that he had fought the good fight and had given his all as God's chosen saints are similarly similarly commissioned to do, enduring to the end in total dedication. And so here you can see the difference. One is a commitment to God that you're giving God your whole life, that you're going to pour out your life in the service of others. And the other one is actually doing that. It's actually serving other people. It's how you're, it's how you're providing for and helping other men, women, and children in your life. Very different. One other thing I want to draw out before we continue, and I, 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 God didn't even tell me this until after I finished the study and I went back and I reread it, and then I noticed that 
In the first one, he said that he would remember your meal offering, but in the second one that he said that he may accept your burnt offering. So in one case, he's talking about God remembering one offering and the other one that he would accept it. And so to remember your labor of love towards others is the first point so that God would reward you for each good deed that you did for someone else. You see, that's why. God said that if you even give a glass of cold water to a child, you won't lose your reward for it. And so why does God give me or why does God give you the ability to do things for other people? Because he wants to give you rewards in heaven for it. He wants to give you a chance, if you would, to have a bank account in heaven. It's not full of money, it's full of blessings. For every good deed that you've done here for another man, woman, or child on the earth, you have a reward in heaven for it. And so David is asking that the Lord would remember those things that you did out of love to serve another person. And then the second one is to accept accept your burnt offering. That's a whole nother level of commitment, right? It means to accept your 100% commitment to serve God by pouring yourself out. That's your whole life that you're willing to pour it out for others. That's the ultimate pursuit of heavenly gain, and it has nothing to do with earthly gain. It means you're gonna be so busy pursuing the things of heaven that you don't really have a lot of time to pursue the things of the world. That would be the way to say it. And so let me give you one more example that might crystallize this in your thinking this morning. A chicken may serve others by giving up an egg for breakfast, but a pig must die for breakfast to have bacon. (laughs) Hopefully that gives you the idea. Verse four. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Mike, say that again. Say that again. Sure. To describe the difference in level of commitment, I'm using an analogy between a chicken and a pig. A chicken may serve others by giving up an egg for breakfast. If you have eggs in the morning for breakfast, then you got that egg from a chicken. That chicken gave up an egg, right? The second one, the second example is a pig which is used for bacon. And so a pig must die for breakfast to have bacon. So the commitment of the chicken is different than the commitment of the pig, isn't it? That's the idea. That's the point. So the pig is all in and the chicken's, you know, serving well, but the chicken's not all in. (laughs) All right. So let's continue now. Verse four, he said, may he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your whole plan. I love this. David's praying that the Lord and God, the one true God, may he grant you your heart's desire and your heart's desire and my heart's desire would be that which is the very thing deep in your heart that you want the very most. Something is in your heart that God planted there that you want the most. And I love the fact that David's praying that God would grant our heart's desire. And I also believe that David would not pray this unless it were possible. And so I'm encouraged by the fact that he's, that he's praying this and therefore it's possible. And not only the desires of your heart, but notice the second part of that verse. He said, and fulfill your whole plan. This would be the entire plan that God has made for us. 
And his plan, of course, is way better than our own. But to fulfill the whole plan means that nothing would be left out. It would be entirely full, abundantly above all you could ask or hope or think. And so consider that for a minute. That David is praying that God would grant you the desires of your heart and fulfill your whole plan. What an awesome God that would even consider that. That is so awesome. I love it. It's so encouraging to me. And so notice the result now in verse five. He said, we will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your desires. Wow, we will sing for joy over your victory. Brothers and sisters, we should all sing for joy when another brother or sister gets victory. It might be over doubt, it might be over worry, it might be over fear, it might be over sin, it might be over death, it might be over some other thing. But every time God pours out a blessing on one of our brothers or sisters, we should sing for joy about it. Amen and amen. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. Banners are used for advertising. People put their top brands on their clothing. It's kind of the idea. And so banners share their affiliation and their excitement about a brand. And so this means that we would walk around holding up the name of Jesus Christ like a banner showing our affiliation and our excitement for him. It would be like having a parade where we have this big banner that we're holding over our head that says, Jesus saves or praise the Lord or something like that. You're so excited about him. You can't wait to tell everybody about Jesus. That's what that means. And so he said, may the Lord fulfill all your desires. Another wonderful prayer from David because he would not pray this unless it were available. And so did you know that it is available? for the Lord to fulfill all your desires. I believe this is especially true if you've been given a meal offering and a burnt offering because we just learned what those two meant, didn't we? And so the meal offering means that you're serving others in love because you have the love of God in your heart. You wanna serve others. And so you're walking through the days of your life serving others. That means you're reading the word, you're giving out the word, and you're trying to meet whatever physical needs they may have. And then the second one, the burnt offering means you're all in, you're fully committed. This life is no longer what's important to you, but the life that you're going to lead in heaven is. And so that's what you're striving for. Those are the things, those are the plans that you would be making. And so this would normally manage itself in your ability to achieve great things for the kingdom of God and in the service of others. And so that's what David's praying for, that this fulfillment of your desires would be these things that you desire to do for God and with God and because of God. And so now in verse six, he said, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. David says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. How did David know that? Well, because back in chapter 18 and 19, we read that God did show up and God routed his enemies, remember? Boom. 
His enemies got crushed under his feet. Remember that? Remember, God even sent his arrows and he dispersed them. And so David knows because he's not hiding in a cave anymore, he saw God show up. And God really let those enemies have it. And David just wiped them out. It was no effort because God was working in him and through him. And so he says, he knows that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven. And so God will answer from his place up there in his heaven. The prayers go up into heaven. They're heard by almighty God from on high who listens from his high place. And then he comes down to earth to take care of business where the rubber meets the road. That's how it works. And he says this, with the saving strength of his right hand, the right hand is always the strong hand. We just read how God had placed all these trillions of stars in the heaven. How strong is his right hand? How strong is the right hand of the almighty God is something to consider for just a minute. Because those that oppose us, they don't have a chance. They're fighting against God who is protecting his very children. And those of you who have children on the earth, what would you do to protect your own children? And as you contemplate that, God said that even though we know how to give good gifts to our own children, how much more would your heavenly father give good gifts to his? And so I pity the fool that tries to harm any of God's children because they're gonna run into the right hand of God, which is the most powerful right arm there is anywhere, period. Verse seven, some praise their chariots and some their horses, but we will praise the name of the Lord our God. Wow, some praise their chariots and some their horses. This is a reference to men bragging about their fancy cars or their race horses, or how strong their horses are. It's about their stuff. But we will praise the name of the Lord our God. The name of our Lord and our God is the most praiseworthy thing that I will, you will, or any of us will ever know. It's the name of our God. And that implies everything that it means. God's plan, God's word, God's son, God's power. It's all wrapped up in his name. Nothing can compare. Nothing else is worthy to be praised like God's name. Amen? Amen. And so verse eight, they have bowed down and fallen or they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. And so here we see the great contrast. They have bowed down and fallen. He's speaking about those mighty men who are praising their chariots and their horses. These would typically, by the way, be men of war, men of human valor. Notice what happens to them. They all bow down. That means they're put in a physical position of great humility and they're fallen, which means they died. And so God is gonna humble the proud. He's gonna humble the mighty. He's gonna humble these men that, are acting like they're all that on the earth. They're gonna bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're going to die. That's what happens to prideful men. But that means in contrast, listen, but in contrast, we have risen and stood upright. 
So those of us who value God's name above all else, our end result is exactly the opposite of prideful men of the world. We have risen and stood upright alongside our risen Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because we bow down now, we're risen later. And because they failed to bow down now, they die later. And so what a glorious future we have. We're going to be risen. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we're going to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with him forever and ever and ever and his blessings are going to go on forever and ever and ever. What a difference, what a contrast between worldly, prideful, powerful men and a godly man or woman that lives today and bows his head and confesses Jesus Christ as Lord now and relies on that name as the most valuable thing upon the earth. And so now David closes this chapter. It's only nine verses. And he said, save, Lord. May the king answer us on the day we call. Save, Lord, that God saves is literally one of his names. And may the king answer us on the day we call. And so the focus of this sentence, again, this is the last sentence. And what is the focus of it? It's the king answering us again. He started at the very beginning of this chapter, praying that the king would answer our prayers even before we said them. And now he ends this chapter with the same idea that the king, there's only one, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is God Almighty, and it is him that's going to answer us. Not someday, but literally on the day we call, immediately, instantly, now. Do you receive it? Do you receive it? Yes. Amen. Father, thank you for your word, God. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and alive. And every day I study it, Lord, I'm amazed and amazed and amazed and encouraged again and again. And I'm just in awe of you and I'm in love with your word. And I just say, thank you, God. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired godly men to write down the words that you gave them and you confirmed it. For there are more than 40 authors on five continents that wrote these words and they all match with exact mathematical precision. And Lord, you show up even in the translation of the names of the generations of children over 42 generations in the book of Matthew and the entire story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is told when you just translate the meaning of the names over 42 generations. And so we know God that the word is your word And it's a love letter that you wrote and you left for us to study it, to eat of it. And Father, we have been changed by it today as we have consumed it. And so thank you for who you are. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your great love. And thank you, thank you, thank you, God, that you will answer us when we cry. For we are your children washed in the blood of the Lamb. And your word said that we could boldly enter the throne room of grace and ask you for help in our time of need. 
And so, Father, I'm just thankful that I know what your word says. Help us to believe it and help us to receive this promise today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You've been listening to the Outbless Weekly Podcast by Michael Metcalf from Life Hope Christian Ministry. Thank you for joining us each week to learn the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You may visit outbless.com for more information about Michael Metcalf and the Outbless Weekly Podcast, or you can visit www.lifehope.com if you wish to contribute to our non-denominational Christian ministry. We appreciate your prayers and financial support however the Lord leads. Let the Word of God be a lamp unto your feet and guide you on the narrow path that leads to heaven. Please tell your friends and family to join us each week as we study the Word together on the Outbless Weekly Podcast. May the Lord richly bless you.